0: Welcome to the Academy of Esports Podcast. I'm your host, James O'Hagan. I'm with Dr. Rachel Coart. She is a research psychologist at the organization Take This. Dr. Coart, thank you so much for being on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I was, I've been drawn to your work. Uh, First time I came across your work was actually on a Twitch stream with Dr. Sarah, Dr. Lindsay, um, that they do on Wednesday nights where they kind of get into some really, you know, medically, Type stuff. Me being an educator, uh, you always see the combination of how medical research and psychology translates into education, and vice versa. There's a lot of give and take between the two. And uh, reading into some of your research, I see that you <clears throat> developed. You have a very extensive background. Uh, you have been a. You got your BA at University of Texas in Dallas. You got your masters at Santa Clara, where I, I grew up just north of Santa Clara and San Mateo, so I know the area really well. Great university. Uh, You got your Ph.D. at the University of York and then you worked at in in Munster at one of the University of Munster in Germany, if I'm saying that right. You are world traveled. You have probably one of the most uh, eclectic, uh, not as far as degrees goes, but as far as where you collected your education of anybody I've ever, ever interviewed. So. It's really impressive. And and I thank you so much for being here. So let's get into it. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you found yourself specifically focusing into this, this culture around gaming and gaming culture in your, in your research uh, that you do.
1: Yeah. So I, um, when I was getting my master's at Santa Clara, I went there originally for, well, I did get a degree in counseling psychology. I wanted to be a clinician. I wanted to be a therapist. And uh, as I started that training, I realized I did not want to be a therapist and that I didn't have the patience to do that every day, uh, but I instead wanted to pivot into the more research side. So as I was continuing my education there, I had to do clinical internships and still see clients and that sort of thing. And I saw a series of people in a short amount of time, very concerned about their child's use of World of Warcraft. And after about the third or fourth parent I saw, I thought, well, maybe this is something to look into. Also, as a side note, I played tons of World of Warcraft at the time. So I was starting to get concerned about whether or not I should be concerned about my behavior. And at the time, (laughs) there was pretty much no research in the area. There was Nick Yee, who was doing work out of California, but he was the only one. And so that's when I realized, okay, I want to answer my questions for my clients. But also, I'm very curious, is World of Warcraft ruining my life? Let's find out it's
0: not. That's the short answer. <laughs> it, it, it's funny that uh, you say that because uh, I'm 44 years old. I, I grew up playing video games. I'm a, a administrator in a school district. I'm on a library board. I'm involved with things at the state level. I don't feel that video games have ruined my life in any way. And there's plenty of people in my generation who uh, you know also grew up playing video games who are leading very productive lives, who spent lots of times at arcades. So it's funny that there's still this stigma, this idea that video games are so bad. Where do you think that comes from?
1: Yeah, the stigma is still very strong. Uh, And as you mentioned, it started back with arcade games when they became popularized. This idea, oh, games must be the bane of our society, um, really kind of stuck in in the common thinking, and it's still there. I think a lot of it comes from, well, just a general moral panic, a fear of new technology. And we see this kind of as a cyclical process. It started with comic books and rock and roll and you know now it's video games and 10 years from now it'll be vr and there's just a general mystery about new technologies and the other issue is sensationalized news media so the stories we see about video games are always stories trying to link playing violent video games with violent crimes and violent actions which is not supported by the research but regardless it is still the uh the line of dialogue that gets presented in the news media and if you keep seeing this over and over again combined with just a general question about what are games and how are they impacting us, you know, game studies isn't super popular, um, in just general conversation. Uh, no. it creates a mystery and a concern and it, and then it just sticks.
0: I know that, um, I have grown weary <laughs> of being asked the question <laughs> and I don't know if you get the question a lot about it. the last time I had this conversation with somebody, they were very, I guess you could say aggressive or combative and just so entrenched in their belief and, you know, there's some, there's some people you just know that as much carrots as you try to show them and as much good data as you try to show them, they still don't know. But for the typical parent, because I know your your group would take this, you do speak specifically mm-hmm. to parent organizations. How do you, I guess, start to frame the conversation for somebody? You know, there's educators watching this podcast who are probably facing some of the same questions, whether it's school board yeah. or parent. How do you start to frame this conversation with a parent who is maybe very... I won't say confrontational, but questioning?
1: Yeah, I mean, I understand the mystery. And I generally start the conversations with parents about being engaged with their child's activities. So I think a lot of the questions and a lot of the fear is just fear of the unknown. And I understand that all parents or educators are interested in playing games. I mean, that's just the way it is. Not everybody enjoys it. But just being in the room with your child when they play and observing what it is that they're doing, that in and of itself, I think answers a lot of questions versus just what are they doing behind closed doors? It must be doing something bad. And you open the door and you realize they're building empires in Minecraft, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's just about being engaged and uh, with your with your child and kind of pulling the curtain back from some of that mystery. Now, in terms of the research science, I could talk to them about that all day, uh, but I don't think that that quells the fears as much as knowing what their individual kid is doing.
0: Yeah, I, I know that I was late to the undertale party. But Undertale has become one of my favorite games of all time. It's probably my number one favorite game. It's the one that I talk to and people say, hey, what's a what's a great game I can play? It's like, here's the one because of just how the dynamic is so different than what I was used to. And I'll tell you that when I first stepped into Undertale, I had that mindset of, well, I got to attack this person because, you know, that's how the game works, how I'm trained to be and learned very quickly that you don't have to attack everything. In fact, the game is meant to be played where you don't have to attack anybody at all. But I was late to that party and it took my kids who, you know, my son dressing up as Sands for Halloween, you know, and I'm going like, why is my son dressed like a homeless skeleton? Like, I don't get this. He's just wearing this hoodie and like Crocs and I, I don't get what this is, but I really, uh, I think, yes, as you're, as you're talking about stepping into see the games, I know that we've talked about just sitting next to your kids and not, you don't necessarily have to ask questions actively, but sitting next to being part of the experience that they're having. Has COVID helped or hurt, in your opinion, not that you may have any research, if you have research, great, but has it, has it helped or hurt, I guess, these conversations between parents and kids? Because we've been I so like it... stuck together, I guess. <sighs>
1: That's one aspect. Has it helped <laughs> to hurt marital relationships? There's another question. Um, no, yeah. I think it's both because. On the one hand, I feel like parents now have more opportunity to play with their children. I've talked a lot about Animal Crossing and how that's brought generations together, playing games together. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, children are generally um, interacting with screens more during COVID. So mm-hmm. that could kind of heighten the tension between parents and screens and, and parents and video games. So probably a mixed bag. I have I have hope because Animal Crossing is the gift that keeps on giving during COVID.
0: <laughs> well- but here's the thing, too, is is I'm amazed at how quickly we shifted in COVID to go from, hey, we have to limit screen time. Or the big question I was asked was, how much is too much screen time to, well, I have to get my kid this computer and they have to be on on it all day and they have to do their schoolwork. And the parent, I couldn't believe how many parents got so concerned that their child wasn't sitting now in front of a computer screen for six hours a day being lectured to by a teacher versus before where the questions were, you know, uh, is too much, What's what is too much? Has, again, COVID even shifted that part of the conversation around as far as screen time goes? Or, or should we even care about screen time at this moment in time?
1: Yeah, COVID has switched the discussion. And one kind of major revelation that's happened is the World Health Organization, who is the primary push behind the diagnosis of video game addiction. They have been saying they're going to add it to their diagnostic Guide, whereas the American Psychological Association was saying, We're not so sure, there's not enough research. The scholarly community tends to lean on the APA side, saying there's not enough research, but the WHO was like, We're going ahead with it. Video game addiction is a thing, and we're going to diagnose it and treat it. As soon as COVID happened, the WHO came out with a statement saying, Games are a great way to socially connect during physical distancing. It's like, Really? (laughs) That narrative changed quickly. I mean, I agree, and, Mm -hmm. and I've been on that soapbox for a while. Um, So it is interesting to see how the dynamics are shifting. Video game addiction, if you notice, is not so much in in conversation right now because now it's shifted more to how can games socially connect people? How can games help us alleviate loneliness while we remain physically distanced and that sort of conversation?
0: And and what I've seen, too, is how uh, it's become socially acceptable for people to sit in front of computers for eight to ten for adult. Let's say let's say let's be honest for adults to sit in front of computers for eight to 10 hours a day doing whatever they do. So I guess now they've passed that, that permission on to their kids or to other people who like streamers because streaming has you know skyrocketed and people are using it as their outlets to express themselves, yeah. to share ideas. Uh, of course, again, teachers are you know using it as, as a tool as well. Uh, it's been amazing how, again, because some people in power now see that they have to do it. That now it becomes socially acceptable and it becomes okay. In all this time,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: it's funny. And and here's the other thing too, because I again looking at your research and and looking at your website and the things you've written about too. You also write about again the social connection that can be made in these spaces. Yeah. One of the things that I I know that my teachers that I work with struggle with is how do they how, how is the art of teaching translated into a digital form, because you don't always have that interpersonal, you know, seeing the body language, reading the body language, really understanding. And I think in, even in your book, uh, A Parent's Guide to Video Games, The Essential Guide to Understanding How Video Games Impact Your Child's Physical, Social and Psychological Wellbeing. We'll, we'll talk more about the book later. But in that book, <laughs> you even talk about how in some of these instances, and correct me if I'm wrong, how those Virtual instances, you do miss some of those interpersonal connections and how that can impact growth. And again, we're talking about putting kindergartners, first, second graders in now another semester of at least of virtual learning. How is that going to impact so so, so, so uh, social development? And is that something we should worry about?
1: Yeah, so there is definitely a lack of nonverbal cues in virtual spaces. That's just the way that it is. Um, it's a different form of communication. Granted, it has other kinds of accommodations, but that's that's a separate story. I think in the short term, we should not be so worried about long-term consequences. For the younger kids, peer play is very important, but also not getting sick is very important. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to have to take kind of you know the, the balance where we want to be with that. Um, Up here in the Great White North, we talk a lot about social bubbles and having other families that are staying isolated that you can kind of commune with. So the kids still have that interaction with another peer of a similar age because it is so important. Mm -hmm. I don't think we need to be concerned it's going to have detrimental long-term impacts over the scope of another year, whereas it does seem like the consequences of contracting COVID-19 will have detrimental physical consequences for an extended period of time. Um, and also online spaces are actually really accommodating these days, like streaming in streaming. You have the video, you can see the body language of the person communicating to you or mm-hmm. an avatar based play like world of Warcraft. You can stick your avatar close to another avatar and kind of imitate the physical closeness that you would have in a face-to-face conversation. So there are a few accommodations. Obviously these are probably go over the heads of the really young children. I have a five-year-old who was doing online zoom learning and you know, it's not ideal obviously. Um, But I think that it's for the time being, it's a good substitution.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I, 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 by my bachelor's, I'm a elementary, I got a degree in elementary education and I taught, fifth graders for several years and now I oversee a virtual learning program and I have pushed against our district even adopting a elementary virtual program just because of again I really believe that beyond the ABCs the one two threes and being able to read at grade level by grade three that elementary school should be the, again, that social experience, you know, in mm-hmm. most cases, there are obviously some, some limitations, you know, for some kids or special circumstances, but it's been, it's been personally, I guess, really hard for me to almost be forced to go in this adoption round. I know there's many educators and parents who are probably feeling the same way as well too. And, and really concerned about their, uh, their own yeah. child. So let's let's take that idea and talk about take this. Is there something that take this the organization that you're a part of is doing to help educate or help support families, school districts, educators at this time with something like maybe a concern like this?
1: Yeah, Take This provides a lot of resources on their website at takethis.org related to COVID in terms of how to deal with increased stress or how to deal with boundaries with working at home and also being a family at home and those kinds of informational resources. So there's a lot of a whole special series of articles that have come out over the last couple months, couple of months specifically tackling topics related to COVID. I mean, we're in a time of increased heightened stress over an extended period of time, like we have not seen before. Uh, and if now is the time to focus on our mental well-being and our mental health and make sure that we're taking care of ourselves as well as our families and our jobs and our child's education. Um, and we can't do that if, if we're pouring from an empty, empty cup we have to take care of ourselves too.
0: I, I feel that I, I go with the 12 as a 12 spoons uh, theory where you only oh, yeah? have 12 spoons in the day. And what are you going to give your 12 spoons out to? And, and uh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I will say that um, uh, personally, you know, it, it's I, I. I went from having a dad bod now to a COVID bod. Um, this oh, suit jacket, we all have that
1: problem. This suit jacket <laughs> is
0: is this is my it, when I put this on every week. I just it, this helps me know, you know, am I still am I doing okay or do I need to really watch what I eat this week? <laughs> um, so I understand that stress in the families, uh, the stress of families. But um, when we're talking about now shifting how schools are going to shift into these, um, again, online experiences. What can schools maybe do if you have any ideas to, um, help with that socialization need beyond, because I can tell you curriculum, super easy to do. I have all the online curriculum that we need kindergarten through 12th grade. We can do every class basically in that sense. I have teachers, I have mentors, um, but what could we set up socially if it's not full blown esports or anything like that? How can we and do it in a way that maybe is equitable for kids too? Because equ- equity of access is also something that I'm really struggling yeah. with. The playground is an easy access yeah. because everybody can access it, but Animal Crossing, you know, just trying to get a Switch even right now is yeah, is a premium.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that esports is actually a great thing to promote right now. Games are a great way of getting people together socially in an interactive space, which is what you get at the playground, which is what you get on team sports, which is all the things we can't have right now. Mm -hmm. And having that social play is really, really important, and we're not going to have that. I think also for the younger children, um, as we were talking about, it's really about being with peers. And my daughter, as much as I try to sit her on a Zoom play date, a five-year-old is not (laughs) going to do that. It's no no good. Um, I think the idea of social bubbles are really great, so you can have the safe connection with other people, uh, especially your children. Mm -hmm. And I think that esports is actually something we could talk about. I'm not sure how to make it more equitable access, because that is obviously going to be an issue. Mm -hmm. But being in a space where you can interact and, you know, compete and cooperate and have a shared activity, it's really important and it's really special. And that's what we're missing. I mean, Zoom meetings, again, Zoom happy hour is just more work to me, honestly, than actually a happy hour.
0: It makes me feel tired. It, yeah. it, 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 honestly, yeah. I, I get done with it and I'm like, whoo, you mean, wait a yeah. minute. I just got, I, I just spent all day sitting in front of my screen in the same chair and I'm going to go <laughs> do it again. And I, even if I set up in my kitchen, it's still, it still not, feels yeah. like another thing of work. What about yeah. this idea? Because again, my virtual program, um, you know, potentially I'm going from having 150 students now to 2000. So my focus right. has greatly shifted. What it, what of the ideas too for educators to consider as, as a going back to that one room schoolhouse idea where mm-hmm. it used to be, you know, everybody's now so grade segmented. But the one room schoolhouse was, hey, we're in a community of 20, 30, and now we're going to put all the grades together and we're all going to learn together and socialize together. Should there be things that maybe educators who maybe have that idea? Because I've heard that idea starting to percolate should maybe th- that that's good and things that they should be wary of or watchful of, I guess. I think that's great.
1: I've heard, yeah, I've heard a lot of people talking about too, using this opportunity to teach things you don't normally teach, Mm -hmm. and if you put everybody together and you have the opportunity to teach the older kids to maybe help the younger kids, or you think of different ways to incorporate bigger concepts that is applicable to different ages, I've learned, you know, let's talk about taxes, or, you know, things that you don't (laughs) normally talk about.
0: I don't know what it's like in Canada, but
1: finances, budgeting. Oh, it's not good. It's not great anywhere. Is it? Um, but I really, I really do like that idea. My daughter goes to a really small school and the older kids interact with the younger kids a lot. And I Mm -hmm. find that it fosters these, these different relationships and it provides different opportunities than keeping them as segmented as you normally do.
0: Well, let's, uh, I think all these are really powerful, Ideas. I think these are really good statements. These. I know this goes beyond esports. This goes into again. We're delving into the world of education and just educational, uh, you know, philosophies. And I think again, seeing how they they play together. But let's shift gears a little bit because I also wanted to talk to you because I I am somebody who I won't say I was completely ignorant or completely lost at the uh, fervor around this. But uh, this is again, this is a complete shift. Let's talk about Gamer Girl. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, gamer okay, girl. Okay, here we go.
0: Well, and, and again, I shared with you a video clip from our esports EDU chat on Thursday night where it was me and, and two female educators and, and Bradford and we sat talking about this game. Now, again, I'm 44 years old. I grew up a you know, child of the 80s. My first instance when I saw it. Well, first off, we're gonna, we're gonna play the trailer right now. And then uh, we'll reflect on it. So uh, here's the trailer. Peggy 18
1: Hey everybody. Okay, cool. Water time, break time. All that uh junk has been taken out my stream. Oh, come on. Moderator, what do I do? Like, do I answer it? We should go for a drink after. Yeah, maybe. Yeah? I know, what do you guys think?
0: You got that, guys? (laughs) No. No, No. Abby, you're streaming again? What's it to you? Make sure he's okay. So I watched that, and again, this this was my very initial first gut reaction. This is not how my thought process has evolved. It took It takes me time to process things. But my initial gut reaction was, this is just some Friday, the Friday the 13th stupid horror movie from the 80s, and it's just, that's all that it is. That was my gut initial first response. However, there was quite a bit of outrage that came out and I didn't quite understand it at first. So perhaps from your perspective, well, obviously from your perspective, what, what was the thing that me as a 44 year old white male who saw this as an eighties horror movie, because there's other people I know who missed this as well too. What did we miss? Cause we were conditioned that this is just, like I said, this seemed like a genre of something that we've seen before, but what did we miss?
1: Well, I mean, multiple things. I yeah. say. Um, First of all, um, it's kind of glorifying an, an event that happens to many women who are actively creating content on the Internet. Whereas, you know, Jason isn't really highlighting um, interactions that happen normally. Uh, I mean, women being stalked on the Internet uh, for to negative consequences, people showing up at their doors, whatever it might be, it happens. It happens and not... Totally infrequently. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the first thing. The second thing is this trailer was released during a time of um, a Me Too movement happening in the gaming industry, but a lot of women coming forward about sexual harassment and abuse in the gaming industry. And then members of the gaming industry released this game where you can harass or stalk or murder i don't even know exactly what happens in this game and they say oh it's an educational tool and you talk about whatever mm. the opposite of reading the room is that's that's what that is
0: yeah um, it, so, oh go yeah. sorry sorry you're taking a breath well, I was,
1: yes i have so many <laughs> feelings about it um so those are the first two off the bat. And originally, wow. my, my original concern was about kind of a uses and gratifications perspective or a cultivation perspective, that this is giving individuals who are interested in stalking women on the internet kind of a way to live out those dreams, so to say. Now, if you go to the research and you look at cultivation effects, they're generally hit or miss. It's not necessarily one piece of media is going to cultivate some kind of behavior in the real world. Mm. But again if we're having a time in history where women are saying men are mistreating us and men stalk us and, and this, that, and the other thing, why are we creating a game that glorifies that action? So to say?
0: Yeah. And as I, as I, I, I agree, you know, again, it takes, it took time for me to process, please don't think that what I said as my original statement <laughs> is how I've ended up, yeah. but the, um, uh, um, you know, going into looking at the research, this game was developed by an all male group. And we can't tell if there was any, you know, consulting that even took place on this. And the question I sent you yesterday is how did this get through checks and and people are just like, sign off on it, sign off on it. How did it even get this far? But then I have to remember, you know, Riot Games has had its very public internal issues. Ubisoft had its real recent very Mm -hmm. public issues. You know, it's 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 you know, people are, are there. I think what's happening right now is all the dirty laundry is coming out in the gaming industry. I'm like all of it. And it's because we have all this hyper focused attention on it where people who maybe weren't engaged in it before are now looking at it going, well, oh, wait a second, why is this okay? Or why is this this way? And it's this, this, you know, this frat boy culture. I I, I know that there's good fraternities out there. Okay. Got, I'm using it as a, as a generic, again, stereotype. I shouldn't do that, but Looking at this culture the way that it is, and really, I'm 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 pleased to see that these these things are coming out because, again, I first gut response for me was, OK, I'm just, I'm not even going to consider this is like a movie I would never see in a million years. It's just it didn't. But it didn't register with me the depth that this truly is damaging, because as you said, Jason isn't just going to J- Jason isn't running around all in all of these towns out to murder. You know, teenagers who can't seem yeah. to get in a car and drive away from the from the <laughs> they stick yeah. around. But it's it is the oh my gosh this this first of all it looks real. It looks like like yeah. the interaction. It's it's an actress. It's not you know this isn't even GTA Five where it's it's computer generated characters. But uh, right. it, again, the question I raised at Esports Edu chat and is where's the line because GTA Five while still depicting women in these in these instances as prostitutes or pole dancers or having, you know, damsel in distress, you know, Mm -hmm. roles, where is the line then? Because if, if GTA five is socially acceptable to some degree in a lot, in a lot of places, it is much more than this game was. I mean, the people who are calling out this game are the same people who are talking about, you know, when GTA five got announced for the Xbox actually like, Oh, we're going to have the same game over again. They weren't saying like, wait a second, why are we still playing this game? You know?
1: Yeah. I mean, the difference for me is that GTA is always been a storyline about a a person who is living a life of crime, right? Mm -hmm. This is a story directly about a streamer and her mod, which is also kind of strange because usually your relationship with your mods, with your moderators, are people that you know and people that you trust. And I feel like you wouldn't have this weird kind of relationship that they're portraying in the trailer. It seems more like a relationship between a streamer and a viewer. Mm -hmm. And And it's, that's the focus of the storyline, right? That there's this relationship and the viewer has some kind of control over what the streamer does. And it's just crossing a boundary. That's a little too close to reality. If you're living a life of crime in GTA, I guess that is probably also your reality too. I don't know if you're hanging out in in strip clubs and I don't know. No, I like to drive. I love to drive really (laughs) fast in the game. (laughs) I do like that too. Um, But, and I just think it was, you know, Poorly developed, like you said, the team they obviously didn't consult. It's reflecting too many real world things that do happen to women. Um, and it's just, it's just ew. Like when I saw the trailer, my initial thought was it was like, also, all female streamers don't wear short shorts and like mm. crouch in front of the camera, which is like the first thing you see in the first three seconds of the trailer. And it's like, give it. me.
0: Well, the other thing that I'm starting to see too now in the gaming industry, which is also very concerning, is how companies are rebranding, especially around Black Lives Matter <laughs> movement. There's been a, and again, with the Me Too movement in the gaming industry and, and Gamergate, there's been a huge rebranding by some of these companies where it it seems like they're talking a good game about, oh, we're going to like one company, an, ex- an example that had a huge New York Times spread, set which was which was set up by some phase former phase clan executives. Mm. And they said, "Hey, we're going to talk about Black Lives Matter and we're going to promote, you know, LGBTQ and we're going to do all, you know, environmental issues." I mean, literally it went down like the list of social justice. Checkbox, <laughs> check checkbox, checkbox. And I go into their Discord. Their Discord is freely open, anybody can go into it. Not one channel dedicated to any of those topics, not, mm-hmm. you know, I bring up the issue of, "Hey, your memes channel is A wreck. Like where are Mm -hmm. your mods? And the response that I got was, well, this is a discord like that answered all of, you know, the questions. What are we, are we now also seeing issues of performative allyship where companies are starting to align themselves with people or even worse virtue signaling by just saying, Hey, here's our new mission statement, but not actually doing any of these things.
1: Yeah. And and that's always been the case. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. always existed and it's, uh, terrible and people need to make actual tangible change. And my, my friend and my colleague, Tanya DePass, she talks about this on, on Twitter a lot, where it's like, we'll see in a month who's still talking about Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. We'll see who in a month is hiring a more diverse workplace or not. And if they're not, I mean, I think we as consumers need to take notice of that and decide you know, where our loyalties are, are going to lie. I personally want to support businesses who don't have performative allyship? Who are making a change to make the world a better place? Um, I know that all of these Me Too things that are coming out, some companies are responding in better ways than others, and and people notice that.
0: And and how is 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 an organization that you're a part of like Take This doing anything? And I don't. And, and uh, pardon me if I if, if if you're not. and I'm not trying to set you up, but is Take This doing anything to highlight those companies, or are there companies that you look at and you go, you know what, this is one that I would say is probably doing it the best way as an example in this time, especially.
1: I don't know if I can speak to one particular company that's doing um, the best. I would say I take this. I know we've had a lot of discussions about how we as an organization can do better, how we can highlight diverse voices and how we can bring more opinions uh, to the table in terms of um, our our who we hire, in terms of who is writing for us and that sort of thing. But our eyes are everywhere. So we'll see how it plays out.
0: Well, uh, before we, um, first of all, thank you so much for allowing me to be so vulnerable in this conversation, because when I, when I presented this to you and I said, here's the video, I was very nervous, I guess you could say, because again, (laughs) me being the position that I'm in, um, I, I don't want to come off and just ignorantly say, oh, that's bad. I want to be able actually able to understand why it is. So I I appreciate you allowing me to be vulnerable at that and, and share with you my thoughts and, and not come back at me and be like, wow, I'm canceling this interview. Thank you so much <laughs> no, for re- no, buying my no, book and go on about your business. No. So
1: It's important that we are all open to having these conversations. I, I had an, uh, an interaction about Gamer Girl actually on Twitter a couple of days ago. And I was talking about cultivation effects. And, and a colleague of mine came back and was like, actually, I don't think this is the case. We went back and forth. And in the end, we kind of agreed and we kind of disagreed. But I made the comment of like, thank you for having this conversation with me. And it didn't end with like, you're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. It was an actual discourse and that's what we should be doing. So, yeah, that's what we're having. It's great. Uh,
0: well, I, I don't have any pro- people seem to think that the word ignorant is a bad word. I don't see ignorant as as a, I see ignorance as an opportunity to grow. And, and you've <laughs> you've I think helped me shed some of my ignorance. And I really appreciate your your thoughts on this. Um, but let's also talk about other ways that we can help people shed ignorance. Now, I had uh, Dr. Chris Ferguson on a few weeks ago, where he talked about his book *Moral Combat*, and mm-hmm. that book is one of my favorite all-time books when it comes to like laying out like, like here's all the research and here's all the everything that you should consider and the history of, you know, violent video game research and, and all that. Mm-hmm. Your book, not to say that you couldn't have written or been part of Dr. <laughs> Ferguson's book, but your book is to me a book now that I'm going to... That's, it's the book that I'm going to recommend for parents, like especially for my eSports parents, and be like, you know what? If there's one book that you read about video game and gaming culture, this is it. And you wrote the book called The Parent's Guide to Video Games, The Essential Guide to Understanding How Video Games Impact Your Child's Physical, Social, and Psychological Wellbeing. And what I like about it, because I think this is important, it's a first edition, right? Which makes me believe <laughs> that there'll be a second and a third and a fourth. <laughs> well, because... Let's face it. You you wrote this book. This book came out in, oh, I got to pull it up here, Uh, 2016. It's four years later. Looking back on that work that you have done, are there things that you look at in that book that maybe you go, you know what, in the second edition, this is something that I know I need to address or hit harder or or change, or maybe your thoughts have changed on it? Uh,
1: Esports. Esports should be in there. Esports has grown a lot in the last four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in terms of changing, all the information in there is really still relevant. The research landscape doesn't change that dramatically in a short amount of time unless there's been a really big development. Mm-hmm. I guess in terms of video game addiction, that might need to be amended a bit. There has been some changes with the World Health Organization and and the APA. Uh, but generally, as it stands, it's all still pretty much the same. <laughs>
0: Well, again, it is it it is a a fast read. Um, The points, Mm -hmm. even even I like how the structure of the chapters. At the end, it's like, you know, even if you gloss through this, the big takeaway is this right here, and this is the talking points for parents that they should really realize. You get to the main points. I think it is fabulously written, and it's something that, Mm -hmm. um, again, I'm looking forward to what the second edition will be for this book. Uh, And again, it talks not just about the the aspects around gaming and gaming violence. You know, I think one of the most powerful things that I I had this conversation with my children last night, we were at the table and my son out of the blue started talking about violence in video games and how um, he was asked to write a position paper. Now he's 12, right? Asked to write a position paper, but almost supporting that or I guess he was, I guess I misunderstood the assignment when I messaged you about it, but it was like, take this position and you have to choose this side and defend this side it wasn't oh, it wasn't a somebody making him defend it he just it was part of the assignment yeah. we're playing devil's advocate on himself maybe but um being able to show my children just even the graphic that showed the mm-hmm. rise in video game play versus the decline in youth violence and, and and that kind of data i think was tremendous and reading these things to my children it was like, mm-hmm. these were conversation starters. The whole book is a conversation starter. Yeah. Is- yeah,
1: that's great. That That's the point of it. I mean, it's important for parents to know this stuff, what is being consumed and the whole motivation behind writing this book. Well, first of all, was to be concise, which I was telling you before. It's very hard for me. <laughs> uh, I think I wrote the whole book in a very short amount of time, and then it took three times as much time to edit it down to something that wasn't really long winded. Mm. Um But and to have these conversations with your children, especially the chapter on sexism and misogyny, if you have a a son or a daughter who is playing games online, they need to be aware of of the cultures and the interactions that they might be encountering. Um, So, yes, that's great. I'm glad you're using it as a conversation starter for your family.
0: Well, let me ask you about that chapter uh, specifically, Mm -hmm. because my daughters love persona. Okay. Uh huh. Now, Persona, but Persona 4 and Persona 5, my 16-year-old, she's really into it. She's playing with her friend. You know, last night I go in. She's got a Discord. First of all, she didn't know I had, like, she's like, oh, you do Discord? And I'm like, uh, let me show you all the servers. <laughs> Not, and These are the ones that I run. Thank you, Kylie. But it wasn't just that. It's, it's that I'm watching this game. And again, I'm sitting with her. I'm asking questions mm-hmm. when I need to, uh, practicing what we preach. Mm-hmm. but still some things about the game, like the form fitting body suits and the interactions between teachers and students. I mean, is, is persona one of those games that I'm just as an adult, again, misunderstanding, or is it something that I'm, I don't know if you've played the game, but are these instances where I can it's okay for me to be a little uncomfortable if I'm with them and, and can teach along the way, I guess.
1: Of course. I mean, games are great for conversation starters for a whole range of things. Absolutely. Especially you're sitting in there with them. You could make a comment or you can just ask a question like, hey, what do you think about that outfit there? Do we Mm. think that's appropriate? (laughs) I mean, it's a great just like you would with movies or television. I mean, even more so maybe with games because games have a whole culture around them. I think that it's perfectly acceptable to sit and ask questions. My daughter plays a lot of Minecraft. And I sit and I, and I don't play Minecraft at all. I, I play a lot of games, just Minecraft, I, I just don't get it. <laughs> um, but I sit there and I ask her questions all the time. And she was, you know, the other day talking to me about how daddy's house burned down. Oh, how daddy's house burned down. Oh, I blew it up. What do you mean you blew it up? And then we started talking about you don't destroy other people's things, let's have a conversation. Daddy's gonna be upset that you burned his house down. Um, So I think it it provides a lot of opportunities for teaching and learning about things that you wouldn't even normally think of, like about clothes that you wear or about student teacher relationships or about respecting other people's personal property. Um, So, yeah, I
0: I know uh, I've had. So uh, one of the great things you talk about Minecraft and it it sounds like your husband and your daughter have this kind of relationship. Me and my kids, we have our own realm together. So we have our Uh own shared world that we all participate. (sighs) My son went and burned down a whole village. I mean, it was like. Like John, Why? Why did they do that?
1: Well, I know. And then,
0: and then, wait a second. I'm, I'm like, it was so uncomfortable for me to see, but again, it opened <laughs> up a really good conversation. They had captured villagers, and Uh-oh. put them in a, and put them in a cave, like just. Oh no. And I was like, <laughs> okay this is slavery, this is, you know, you're holding people, you you know, even though they're avatars and even though they're, you know, they're not really, you know, they're not actual game players, they're still considered people in the game. You can't take, you know, it opens up this really great conversation where, you know, uh, 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 so yeah, um, again, playing with your kids, asking questions, being in these spaces, or just simply, like I said, being in the room. Any other tips that you might have for a parent who, again, Is finding it difficult to maybe have these conversations just to start?
1: Yeah, I think just sitting in the room, I think that you don't necessarily have to have a deep, long conversation about gender roles if you're sitting with your child and watching them play a game, but just showing interest you'll find will open up conversations. Like even just you sitting in the room, they might start opening up with a conversation. And again, even if you're not into video games and it's not your jam, Mm um, Things like your son's Halloween costume, right? So you can bond on games in other ways. Maybe you can make the Halloween costume together or, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you want to watch the Final Fantasy movie, maybe not, together. No, don't like that movie, it's so bad. (laughs) You know what I mean.
0: Um, Now, uh, last uh, bits here, because uh, I know that you are starting your own, you're doing your own Twitch stream now, is that correct?
1: I am, I have a YouTube channel and I'm starting a Twitch
0: stream, yes. And tell us about what that's going to entail and when, when can we see it? And because, uh, again, I've seen some of your outtake <laughs> videos on YouTube, which I think are great. But t- tell us what your uh, what your stream is going to entail and tell us about any other work that you're doing that you wish to share.
1: Of course. So I uh, started a YouTube channel It's called Psych Geist. So like. Zeitgeist, but psych, uh, which focuses on the psychology of the era, which is the science of games. And I'm going to be releasing weekly videos focusing on game studies science. Whether it's exploring a term that you may have heard spoken about and you don't understand, or maybe it's about a deep dive into a specific area of research. I'm going to be playing fun games of 20 Questions with people in the video game industry. Uh, Gamer Doc is going to be my first guest. So she's an esports medicine doctor. So different different people like that. And I'm going to be streaming on Saturdays, uh, 2 to 4 Eastern. We will see how my, you know, technical difficulties pan out. This is not, <laughs> I study games, but, you know, IT, not my area. So if you want to see me try to talk with probably no sound coming through, you can find <laughs> me on Twitter saturdays uh, starting on august 1st uh, in terms of other projects um, so the parents guide to video games actually was born out of a book called the video game debate which is basically the expanded version of a parent's guide to video games and it's a series of essays unpacking more deeply the science behind the different debates about game studies like addiction and violence and that sort of thing mm-hmm. the video game debate too is coming out later this year oh. uh, of essays from scholars and esports is in that one, uh, talking about esports and loot boxes, and it's a whole different range of topics of debates related to game studies. So that's coming out this year, so that's exciting.
0: I hate loot boxes. I absolutely just I, it's I, it like ruined every game for me that I actually. I I will not play Madden anymore because of this of the loot box system. It's so egregious and it's just all in your face. Um, I will say this too, just as a as a a tip, uh, from one person streamer to another. Um, I have yes. a, I have actually a soundboard thing. I love doing sounds during my broadcasts and stuff. You know, I, I, like sound bits, but I also, has a, it also has a voice changer. Um, That's fun. I, I have to tell people in chat if my voice sounds funny, it's because I forgot to turn off the voice changer. So I don't necessarily want okay. to sound like Thanos or something. So, you know, have your, have your mods who can tell you that, Hey, your voice is off or, if you decide to incorporate a voice changer that your voice is changed yeah. as well. Too. <laughs> That's
1: good advice. That's good advice. Thank you.
0: We will link to, uh, is the, is the Twitch channel active now or should we wait? It is. Uh, okay. It is
1: active. Yes.
0: We will link to it in the notes, but can you tell us what the, the Twitch, I guess, channels name is or, yeah. or URL?
1: It is also site guide. So it's P S Y C H G E I S T
0: for YouTube okay. and for Twitch. Gotcha. Dr. Rachel Coart, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being so giving of your time and being on the Academy of Esports podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. That will do it for this week on the Academy of Esports. I've been your host, James O'Hagan. Esports are organized competitive video games, allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture, diversify opportunities for student participation, promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter, at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N and through the Academy of Esports account at T-A-O Esports. It's a great way to get the latest blog posts, podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember, you can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. You can also connect through Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Tao esports thanks again for listening and i look forward to our time again next week